Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be with you here on another Monday. I love doing Monday and Thursday shows. I hope y'all are enjoying those as well. Uh, The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. John McLaughlin. His new album, Angst and Grace, is a very favorite of mine. I hope you've gotten it. Our series continues today. We've been doing conversations about the next generation. Amy Bird was on last Monday. Last Thursday was Drew Hill, author of Alongside. And today we have J.P. Pecluda, who has been running the porch ministry in Dallas, Texas at Watermark Church for years and years and years. There is a new story his life is getting ready to tell that I can't wait for y'all to hear because he actually says it on the podcast for the first time ever, which is great. But JP, to me, is one of the voices that has been shaping college students alongside Louis Giglio, Shelly Giglio, and Passion. JP's been one of those other voices that, to me, just continues to speak into college students as they are figuring out what adult life is going to look like. In fact, his book that came out in September is called Welcome to Adulting. Navigating Faith, Friendship, Finances, and the Future. And it is an excellent book. If you have a friend who is in college, if you yourself are in college, or if you are doing ministry to people in college, this is the book. This is the book that they need. And you guys know the rules. The only people that are you're ever going to hear on this show are people that I'm friends with or want to be friends with. And, and JP and I have kind of run in the same circle, but had never really met before. So now we are friends. You know how I do it. I like make them stay friends with me after they come on the show. And so I am so honored today for you to get to hear this conversation and to get to have this conversation with my new friend, JP Pecluda. For starters, here's what people know about the show is that the only guests I have on are people that I'm already friends with or want to be friends with. So that's a little bit of pressure for you because that means I want to be your friend. Well, I mean, I'd say we're in because I already know your stuff, but I also just want you to have freedom. (laughs) To say no, thank you. I love you. it. Well, thank, hey, I got a, I got a new friend. That's right. I need to borrow some money. Yeah. If that's okay. I'm just <laughs> you kidding. come to the wrong place. Um, okay. And so, and this whole month is a next generation kind of month. So will you kind of just start by telling people what you do, who you are, and why you care about the next generation? Absolutely. Well, first, I love that you care about the next generation. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel like a lot of people do. And so right. I love that you are investing time and energy and resources into that. And so my name is JP or Jonathan Pecluda. I uh, lead a ministry called The Porch. It's a young adult ministry here in Dallas. We meet Tuesdays at 7. Uh, I trust it's at Watermark Community Church. Yeah. I trusted Christ here 16 years ago. So 21. Uh, and uh, I was at a bar 16 years ago. Someone invited me to church. I sat in the back row, hung over smell like smoke from the night before. I'm just like, what do I really believe about God? And I started wrestling. Did you grow up there in Dallas? Is that where you're from? No, I grew up in a small town in South Texas, like 6,000 people in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And I went to a, a little Catholic church there. And then I didn't go to church in college. You know, the college is kind of, they say drug, sex, and rock and roll. In my right. case, drug, sex, and hip hop. And okay. and so after college, I'm at this bar. Someone invites me to a church and I just start wrestling with, you know, who is God? And I kept tripping over the character of Jesus as I would research that. And and I thought, what are the odds that I'd be born to the right religion? So I was kind of had a bias against Christianity. And the you know, long story short, and I'm happy to tell the longer version, but long story short, I ended up I ended up trusting in Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. I, I have a new life. That day when you were sitting in the back row? No, it, it came a couple of weeks later. Like I kept going and just the yeah. person who invited me kind of exits the story. I kept going. I just would weep in the back like, gosh, I know I'm not living. I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I know I'm not loving God the way that I'm supposed to. And so then 
in a crazy turn of events, the Lord called me to vocational ministry about five years later. And so I was, okay. I was kind of everything wrong with Dallas and a person, you know, I was pretentious <laughs> and, and materialistic and, you know, stuck on myself, narcissistic. And, but the Holy spirit began to work in my life and kind of make things over. And five years later, um, I felt a calling into vocational ministry, didn't know what that mean, meant. And five days later, the church calls and, and offers me a job or an no interview. At least. And so it was, this kind of miraculous chain of events that led me to staff here at Watermark and the porch was going, it was about a hundred people at the time. And so I, I took that over two years later and today it's grown. So every Tuesday night, there's 4,000 young adults uh, at this location. And uh, then we have 10 other campuses around the country. And so it's grown into the largest young adult ministry uh, in the country. Yeah. Cause like across the country, it's like over 12,000 kids, right? Or students. Uh, yeah, probably, probably even more. I mean, it's hard to know now with the online. So you have another, you know, like our right. last, our last message. Uh, I just got an e a text message that, you know, one of the last messages we did was, uh, downloaded over a hundred thousand times. Oh my and gosh. so then you've got the 10 campuses and then, you know, 4,000 here in Dallas. So it's hard to know, but all that to say is I think young adults, and so I, I define that kind of twenties in 30, 20 to 35, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think God wants to use them to change the world. I'm, I'm extremely optimistic when I think about the future of the church. Are you friends with my buddy, Grant Skelton? Of course. Right. Of course. He's the best, isn't he? Yeah, he's getting after it too, just as it relates to millennials and young adults. And yeah. I, I'm, I've been encouraged by Grant. Yeah, I would think y'all speak some of the same. Just listening to you, I'm like, man, I bet Grant loves this guy. <laughs> Our books came out like about a week apart. So yeah. that was fun too, to kind of help him with that project. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things you said that I think is really interesting and something we like talking about on this show a lot, I have a lot of listeners that believe everything we believe, and then we have some who are figuring things out. Well, we're all figuring things out, right? But, yeah. but one of the things we'd love to talk about is what does it look like to hear God? And you said a real interesting thing of like, you felt called by God, like that God called you to ministry. And then five days later, you got, you know, come interview for this job. What did that, what happened when you felt like God called you to something? Did you hear him? Was it like, was it like verbal? Yeah. So it was wild. So I'm sitting at my desk at, at I, I worked for a fortune 12 company at the time. I had just gotten promoted and, uh, Again, kind of, you know, that materialism and yeah. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30 and all that. And so I'm sitting at my desk and the day before Annie, I, I go home and I'm married at this point, newly married, and I go home and I'm just exhausted. And my wife says, you know, did you have a rough day at work today? And I began to think about that. I'm like, I didn't do anything for my job. You know, I was I was like researching this theological idea. I was discipling this guy, being discipled by this guy. I was just yeah. doing all this ministry. And I had heard you only do ministry if you can't do anything else. Oh, wow. And I thought that meant like if you're not gifted enough to do anything else, <laughs> right, do ministry. Right. And, uh, and I realized then that it means that if you're so preoccupied doing ministry that you're not effective at something else, you mm. should consider it vocationally. So I go to my job the next day. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm, I'm, I'm on gotquestions.org, like looking up a question or something yeah. uh, about the Bible. And I hear the audible voice of God. This is where it gets weird. I just want to give you this. Oh, I'm so happy about this. Just keep going. I've never heard a story like this. I hear the audible voice of God and it startles my soul. And, and it's just like, he, he's, he says simply, you're going to come work for me. This is what he says. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm like, what was that? Like you heard it with your ears. Yeah, yeah. Like, and somebody said, well, if I was right beside you, would I have heard it? And I'm like, man, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it sounded like <laughs> you would have. That's all yeah. I can tell you. Yeah. 
so I close my laptop at 1.30 in the afternoon. I go downstairs. I get to my my Jaguar. Again, that's who I am at this yeah. time in my life. And and I'm driving home, and I call my buddy, Bo. And I'm like, bro, you got to meet me at my house. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because he goes, I'm at work. I go, I need you to go ask your boss if you can leave. I need you to meet me at my house. He's like, all right. So he he goes, we meet at my house at two in the afternoon. He's like, what's up? I'm like, I think I was just called into vocational ministry. This is crazy. He's like, ah, it's not crazy. You know, God, God's been doing work in your life. And, and I, so I just go online immediately. Like I'm an activator, you know, just boom, get an attorney to start a nonprofit organization. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. If this was God, you know, then, then he's going to show himself in this. Why don't Mm. you pray? Why don't you seek him? And I thought, man, that's, that's good advice. And so for five days, I prayed, Lord, put me where you want me and help me find contentment there. Put me where you want me and help me find contentment there. Just over and over, I pray this. And now I'm walking through the foreyear of of the company I work at five days later. And this guy calls me from Watermark Church. And he says, hey, I have a job I want you to consider. And I'm uh, I'm like, oh, man, you want me to serve somewhere? Tell me where to be and when I'll be there. He goes, no, 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 like a position. I'm like, a position where? He's like, on staff. I'm like, dude, this is JP. He's like, I, he's <laughs> like, you I mean know. To call? And then I'm like, oh, oh, you talked to Bo. You must, you must have talked to Bo. And he goes, oh, wow. Bo who? And I'm like, man, do you have any idea that five days ago I left my work at 1.30 in the afternoon saying I've been called to vocational ministry? He said, I have no idea. I had no oh, idea. I just, I'm looking at gosh. his job description. And I sense the Holy Spirit saying, JP's your guy. And I'm just like, what? Like my mind's blown, you know, and I'm not, don't have a charismatic background or Pentecostal or anything like that. Like I I was raised Catholic, like I said, and I'm just like, this is happening. And, And here's what's crazy, Annie, is what the enemy did after that is then this other job opportunity came along and I began to doubt that calling. Cause that's oh, what's crazy sure. about the voice of God. When you hear it is it's like, man, just with, with a moment later, it can be like, was that really God? Yep. That's right. Literally a moment later. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I think, you know, we do just, we want to affirm that voice, be it subtle or loud by his word when we can. And there's about 16 Proverbs that say wisdom comes from the counsel of many. Mm. And so I'd like to get people who have the Holy Spirit in one room, yes. sometimes with a whiteboard and just saying, okay, guys, this is what I think God is saying. Can you confirm that? You know, Do you guys agree with that? And uh, and is there a scripture that, that would maybe back this up? So talk about that room of people. How many would you bring in? Because I just had, in December, we had Banning Leapshire on from Jesus Culture. Uh-huh. And he talked about how important it is to have elders in your life, like you're a church, like have elders that can speak in. Because when you think you hear God, you the confirmation of other people is the win. That's what I trust too, is when other people agree with me, I'm like, okay, I think this is God. So how many people do you have in that room? So I wholeheartedly agree with that. Just to, to clarify the word elders, I know you know the word presbyters or, or um, you know pastor or shepherd, mm-hmm. and I don't think it has to be necessarily someone older right. at all. Um, that's not a, a defined by age. Yeah, I just yeah. want to make sure that's clear to the that's listeners. Good. And so for me, I have four other guys in my life that I meet with every Friday morning uh, and then every other Thursday night with their wives. And so we call that com- our community group. Some call it small group or life group or home group or cell group. We call it a community group. And those guys are the board of directors of my life. And so they know everything about my life. They know what I make. They know what I spend. They know what I give. If my wife, uh, the most loving thing I've told her, like you could do is tell on me to them, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. And so um, if I'm not loving to you or you sense that I'm not abiding with Jesus, 
uh, please, you know, first come to me. But after, if I'm not listening to you, please go to them and ask them for help. And so those are the guys that I run with, but I think it could be uh, any number of of three to, you know, Jesus had 12, you know, so. Man, that's brilliant. Okay. So keep going. So those guys say, yeah, go for it that you get them. And then, then you get the job offer. Yeah. So then Watermark calls and, and then I interview, but then, like I said, then there was this distraction of another job That's right. that came on. That was, you know, it was, it was a, a test. I would say it was more money. It was uh, more freedom, autonomy, authority. And I began to question that calling and <laughs> long story short, again, I ultimately take that other job. You took the other job. I took the other job and I told them in the interview, like I, I'm, I won, I think God is calling to me to minister which they didn't know what that meant. And I said, I just have to be really honest with you. Like, I don't, like, I'm kind of a mess right now. I think God is doing something. And he's like, oh, I don't care. You know, just give me six months. Oh my gosh. And in six months, you know, you'll be making more than you know what to do with. And so on the day of my six month anniversary, I said, I've been disobedient and that I've delayed obedience and I I have to go work for this church. So that's the, that's the story. Man, on the six, Wow. JP, I have so many questions. I just want to keep going with this. So when you, I mean, I think that's so beautiful because one of the things people I need to hear, my friends need to hear that are listening is you can do the thing that isn't exactly what you're supposed to do and then go back to, like you can try and turn around and go back to the ministry and you're not going to miss out. Yeah, you're not going to whiff on the will of God. Like God, God, I mean, he will will send an angel to stop a donkey if he needs to. Right. Uh, You know, he can, he can send angels into the shepherd's field. Like he's going to get your attention. He's not a God of confusion. And I think sometimes we're just like, we, we panic and we listen and we get stuck in indecision. And I think you pray and you listen to that quiet voice. You seek his will in the word. You seek his will in community or the counsel of others. And then you go and you put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. There was this guy, Professor Kavanaugh, who called um, Mother Teresa. He was caring for the sick and the needy overseas as a missionary. And he was considering coming back to the States to be a professor and he calls mother Teresa and he asks her to pray uh, for clarity. He just said, mother Teresa, would you pray for clarity? Uh, Cause I don't know whether I should continue to care for the sick over here or I should return to the States and be a professor. Would you pray for clarity? Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I won't. And he was like, what? And she said, no, I won't pray for clarity. And he goes, well, I don't understand. Like you, you've been caring for the lepers in Calcutta. I thought you've had clarity that you knew you should do that. And she said, no, I've, n- I've never had clarity. I've had faith. Hmm. Uh, I woke up today in Calcutta and there's lepers around me. And so I will care for them. Uh, but if the Lord moves me somewhere else or he, he's calling me somewhere else, then I hope I have the faith to put one foot in front of the other without all my questions, answers, and to walk in the uncertainty by faith, not necessarily by clarity or by sight, if you oh, will. Wow. And so that's, that's another story that's ministered to me. Man, and I just think when I think about my friends that are in their 20s or even younger, one of the things they seem to want the most is clarity. That's right. And I think that's in me too, but it feels like the next generation even more than me wants wants. I want to know every answer. I want to know. I don't want to make a mistake here. I don't know how we accidentally built that into them when we were helping raise them. But it does feel like there's a little more fear of being off than I see in my peers. Yeah. And I think a big uh, concern is missing your purpose. 
Yeah. And I, I see that a lot among my millennial friends and young adult friends is just like, okay, what is my purpose? Like, what did God create me for? And I think if we can stay within the fence of the will of God and we're not sinning and we're seeking God, we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then we can trust him for everything else. It's Matthew 6, 33. Yeah. And so I, I think purpose is a big idea that fits with that too. So when you're planning out, like right now you're starting to, th- I'm guessing that you're already done planning or thinking through what you're going to teach in 2019 to over 12,000 millennials. Like, what are the big topics that you hit with them? Well, let me say this uh, for the first time publicly on your podcast. Oh, boy. I've actually just accepted a a lead pastor position in Waco, Texas at a church there called Harris Creek. And I'm excited about that because Waco is a college town. Yeah. Um, You know, Baylor is there and I get to continue to leverage my love and passion because what you hear in my story is that I trusted Christ as an early 20 something. And so I just have this incredible passion for people coming out of college and directing their hearts toward God. And so I think that's going to be there for the rest of my life. But uh, the Lord in his His kindness, sovereignty, and grace to me has opened up an opportunity to lead this church. And and I um, I have sensed a calling to do that. So after 12 years of leading the porch, I'm now going to lead this church in, in Waco. And uh, I'm doing so with Watermark's blessing, with the elders' blessings. But uh, this is the first time I've said that publicly. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. Well, hey, thank you At for least trusting do a, us. By with way, it. A podcast. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So, how soon do you make the transition? As soon as I can sell my house here in Dallas, buy a house in Waco, okay, pull my kids out of school here yeah. and put them in school there. Like as soon as we can do that transition, then I will begin to to teach there okay. uh, on the weekend. And so the porch will kick off. We take one break a year. Uh, the porch will kick off in January. This is the only break we take is over Christmas, over mm-hmm. the holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we'll kick off in January. And I will um, go and and um, tell those guys goodbye. I'll transition yeah. to a, a dear friend of mine, David. And then I, I'll still. I told them, hey, I'm available to help you in any way I can. You know, hopefully you have me come back and teach. But yeah, that's that's all going down. I heard your question that, you know, what are they dealing with? I have a great answer to that. But I I did want to say that just so you know kind of what's going on in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. We're going to go back to that. Yeah, tell me your answer for what you'd teach millennials right now. But then I have questions about the transition. So I wrote a book, and I'm always hesitant, like when I listen to podcasts and someone's talking about the book, I'm like, oh, they're just on to sell a book. I don't give a rip if anybody buys this book, like God's doing what he wants to with it. But I will tell Man, you- I brought you here because you're the expert and I want people to buy that book because it is a good book. So we're, we are telling people to buy Welcome to Adulting for sure. Don't you worry. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Well, the reason I wrote this book is because of, of 10 years of, of patterns that I observed in young adults' lives. And it was, it was the topics that I, I continued to see them, you know, hit their head against or you know the U-turns, um, the the challenges, and then some of them, the incredible successes that they had. And so it looked like, uh, I'll, I'll give them to you, the purpose being one of them that mm-hmm. we touched on already. Mm-hmm. Authority, that's a big one. It's just like, hey, who's in charge? Whose authority am I under? The church, the government, my employer. Uh, work is a big one. Just like, hey, what's, what does God want me to do for a living? How, yeah. how can I make money? Money is another one. Finances, uh, community we touched on. Conflict is, I see some where somebody gets stuck is they just don't know how to resolve conflict. Dating, of course, is a sure. ginormous felt need. How do I convince someone of the opposite sex to spend the rest of their life with me? Right. Um, worry is 
probably the biggest one, Annie, is, is I just see like anxiety, the greatest levels of depression that we've ever seen, you know, cutting suicides, all of these things happening on our watch. And so, um, that that's a big topic. And then recovery, uh, healing from past addictions, hurts, habits, hangups. And then lastly, just this idea of eternity that God has created us for another world and uh, that we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever with him if we've trusted in Christ. And so those are some of the topics that we keep in front of them and and essentially what I wrote about in this book. Yeah. And you're kind of, I mean, it sounds like in Waco, you're still, because it's such a college town, you're still going to get to speak into those things. I certainly hope so. I plan on it. That is the plan. That's incredible. Do you know your Enneagram number? Seven. Me too, man. Come on. Of just course. a couple of sevens. Of course, just hanging out. That's right. I love it. Making okay. it happen. That's right. So then it makes me think about you with this transition of how do you model transition well for all these young adults who are watching you? What is it you're, that you now at 38 as a seven go like, okay, I need to make sure I don't do this or I need to make sure I do this in order to transition well, not only for me, but for all the people that are watching. Yeah, I think the true test of leadership is what happens when you leave. Mm. And so in some ways, I've been transitioning since I got here. And that's just making disciples, reproducing yourself in the life of others, raising up people. Uh, you know, I, one of my favorites, I love to teach the Bible. And the only thing I love more than teaching the Bible is teaching others to teach the Bible. Oh, yeah. And so there's a guy that I've been spending time with for eight years now. Um, and, and we, we teach a process, a a method of how to teach the scripture. You know, I think he's going to do well. And then another thing I would just say is, it's the same with dating. If there's anybody listening, you know, that in your dating, listen, I'm still dating, bud. I'm not married yet. So I'm listening. Yeah. And and so same with, if you, if you visit a place, like uh, you go to somebody's lake house or something, you want to leave it better than you found it. Yeah. And so that's the same way. Like as I go through this transition, I just think, hey, how do I leave the porch better than I found it? And how do I leave Watermark better than I found this? So my first, my first question was, I went to the elders, you know, with this, uh, this news, and I just said, okay, guys, what does it look like for me to transition really well? I want to yeah. bless you and honor you every step of the way. And so, you know, give give me instruction from here, and so just something we talked about together. Yeah. And so, in regards to dating, to go back to that, just like I tell guys, when you're in a relationship with with someone you know, it doesn't have to end in heartbreak and tears and sadness. Like you can, there's a way to go about it where, you know, they're actually a better person because they spent time with you. Mm -hmm. And I would think about it like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Are you sad to leave? Oh, Annie, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I mean, literally it's like ripping my heart from the people like Paul writes about when he leads Ephesus. He's like, why do you weep? And well, that's what I, I mean, there's been, I've had so many violent, tearful, shaking, yeah. sobbing conversations the past three weeks. I'm, I'm emotionally drained, but I will tell you that's so much better than good riddance, right? You know, right. I'd much rather have somebody crying and sad than, than saying, all right, get out of here. So man, we're, we are heartbroken truly to leave our community and our family of faith. I trusted Christ here, you know, and, yeah. and Todd Wagner, the senior pastor has poured into me for, for 12 to 16 years and uh, has given me every opportunity that I've had. God has used him to give to me. And so uh, I, I'm i heartbroken and yet also so incredibly excited to jump into a body in um, Waco that has been without a pastor for seven months wow. and just to to lead them and to care for them and to shepherd them. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, I go to a cross point here in Nashville and we were without a pastor for about a little over a year. What God has done when a new man came in that I, y'all would get along great. His name's Kevin Queen, but y'all would be bros. He's like 
loves God, teaches the Bible. It, what God has done bringing a really godly man into leadership here has made has just been a beautiful thing. It's just taken us places I didn't know the church would go. So that's what I'm going to watch and believe and pray for you too, that you get to see how much you're the right man for that job. Yeah, thank you, friend. I appreciate that. And I, I'd ask your listeners to pray as well for our family through this transition. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it is going to be a challenge, but uh, we believe the Lord is leading us. And so, you know, I know yeah. He's with us. That's right. And the other option you could do as a seven is just like not be sad at all and not say bye to anybody and just go. So yeah. <laughs> I honor you for feeling your feelings. That's right. The two extremes. That's right. We can get out of there with not telling anybody. Okay. Can we talk about welcome to adulting? Because I do think my goal this month is to give resources and people to my listeners that go like, hey, if you're a millennial trying to understand yourself, or if you're an, an older generation trying to understand millennials, these are the people and the resources that'll help. And I think Welcome to Adulting is absolutely one of those. And my friend Jenny Allen adores you and told me how great you are. So that was the other reason that you were the right answer. <laughs> She's so incredible and such a sponsor. And you have to have those encouragers in your life when you're mm-hmm. doing ministry mm-hmm. and and you're in the grind and what, you're loving Jesus in this world. You got to have encouragers like Jenny Allen. Right. And so, man, don't don't buy my book, buy hers, buy one of her <laughs> 27 books. But I mean, isn't it nice of the Lord too to have you write this book and give your heart and soul to something on paper that will last forever right before he transitioned you out. That feels so kind of him. It's so gracious. Absolutely. Thank you for making that observation because I felt that. And I just like, man, as I wrote a book, I'm like, all I want to do, it's not the goal is not to write a book. Like I want to create a helpful resource. Yeah. Like I have seen people make the same mistakes and also seen seen people find the same life through choices they've made. Like there's something to God's instruction. Like he really does love us. He's not trying to rip us off. He wants to set us free. And so as I began to write down those patterns, it just, this, this book is born. Nobody thought that it would do as well as it has, which is yeah. both encouraging and fun? discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and so, I, but my favorite feedback I get is just, Hey, it's, it was so helpful to me. Like when I read that, it was just like that, that gave me instruction and, and the, you know, the way that you made the scripture come alive in there, I, I can apply it to my life. And so it's been fun. How did you take scripture? Like, for example, you, we talk about, and you talk about, you know, Jesus compares anger to murder and you did such a beautiful job of taking that into the mind of a millennial. How, tell me about that story about how, why he makes that correlation between anger and murder and why you need to say that to people who are in their twenties right now. Yeah, I think because Jesus, you know, he cares about our heart. And so it, it's funny that I, I can't take credit for making that uh, uh, metaphor powerful. It is the words of Christ. It was already right. powerful. I'm just plagiarizing Bible. But he he says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. And everybody's nodding their head like, yeah, that's right. And I haven't. So I'm good. Yeah. And he goes, but I tell you that anyone who says to his brother Raka or calls a brother a fool, Anyone who is given to anger has already committed murder in their hearts. And then all of the sudden, everyone listening is like, well, hold on. If that's the bar, how am I going to get in? And they, they don't realize the very one who's giving them the instruction is the way, the truth, and the life, the way in. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I think that whole, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7, is just Jesus showing us our need for a Savior in the same way that he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who's already who's looked at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery. And he's just like, hey, this is what you think is good, but I'm telling you, there is a bar of righteousness that you can't attain on your own, and that is why you need me. Yeah. And so... Um, 
I think with millennials, young adults, we we tend to think that God grades on the curb. And so I'll ask them all the time, you know, why do you think you're going to heaven? And it's like, well, because I'm not as bad as that guy right, uh, or that girl. I haven't done what she's done. And uh, I think I'm a pretty good person. It's like, well, if you're a pretty good person, you don't need a savior. Mm. And so Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for people who who were drowning in their sin, who needed yeah. a savior. Is there a different way we should be teaching the Bible to the next generation than what was than the way it was taught to us? I think um, we are taking a never changing message to an ever changing world. Mm. And so, as you think about relevance, you want to know your audience. You want to study them and know their interests and work in those interests and and entertain them with those realities. And I use that word "entertain" strategically yeah. because you do want them to be engaged in what you're saying yep. as you expound upon the scriptures. But the criticism of this generation that we're talking about is that they're you know they're they're and I'm I'm not saying this. I'm saying what the critics are saying that they're lazy, they're uh, narcissistic or stuck on themselves. They're mm-hmm. selfish. They're, you know, all, all of these slanders, if you will. But what we don't realize is I think we all suffer, Annie, from the older brother syndrome. Oh, and man, it's like, we I don't do. realize that we were the younger brother and that the father ran to us and he wrapped his arms around us and he loved us. And we pulled us, he pulled us onto the reservation and he killed the fatted calf and, and he threw the party for us. And then we're there and we think we've always been there. And then all of a sudden we become the older brother and we have no no patience for the younger brother. Mm-hmm. The the same patience that was extended to us, we don't extend to others. You know, boomers and Xers and uh, generations that have gone before Gen Y and Gen Z forget like somebody showed patience to you. That's how you yeah. came into a saving faith uh, uh, with God. And so I think there is this this return that we need to give. And then lastly, I would just say, you know, when you talk about entitlement or narcissism. Generation A was pretty narcissistic too. Like when you read the Gospels, the number one question that the disciples would ask Jesus is, "What's in it for me?" Yeah, <laughs> they would say, "Who can sit at your right or your left in your glory? Uh, which of us is the greatest?" Nine times in the Gospels, they say, "Jesus, which of us is the greatest? Which of us is the greatest? Which of us is the greatest?" You know, right? And so I would say Generation A is was pretty, you know, stuck on themselves too. I think God uses that. I, I think he takes somebody and he gives them a vision bigger than themselves and he changes the world through them. Yeah, I love that. I think it's interesting that when you use the word entertainment, because I'm big into the power of good entertainment. I mean, that's why I do a show. That's why I speak the way I speak on weekends. Is like, I think entertainment really matters, but there is a, to me, I have this feeling and you can, I mean, we have certainly been friends long enough. You can correct me if I'm wrong. There is a feel to me that, that when I am teaching to people older than me, if they feel like I'm entertaining, they're going to think I'm doing it wrong. And if I'm teaching generations younger than me, if I don't think about entertaining, then they will not stick with me. And I do think Jesus told stories that were engaging and entertaining. I think it's part, I think it's built, especially as sevens, right? It's kind of built into us. Do you think there's that big of a difference between the generations around us or no? I think it is that older brother thing I was talking about. Like, so, you know, you can get, in the church and become a critic and become cynical. And uh, that that's what I, I sense a lot of times. I think I'm agreeing with you with the older generation is they're looking to point out something wrong. And I don't have a lot of patience for that personally. I mean, right. if it's, if it's legit, like if it, there's something there for me to learn from and get better from, I want to hear it. But if it's not, I don't want to stoop so low as, as to even consider it for a moment. Yeah. That's what I would say. How do you think your teaching is going to change between what you do now at the porch and what you'll do on Sunday mornings in Waco? That's a good question. I think relevant to your last question. And I'll also say 
I want to make the distinction between entertaining and amusing. Ah, good. Do that. Do that. Uh, we, we don't amuse people. So like the, the etymology of amuse, a muse. So muse is to think and a is, is non or not. And so to, to have people not think that's not what we want to do. That's right. We want to get up there and help them engage their brains and their hearts. And, and I think you can do that with entertainment. And so how will it be different at Harris Creek from the porch? I don't think it'll be that different. I mean, you know, you want to know your audience. You were so good. Like just, just before the podcast, you said, Hey, this is who my listeners are. And that's a, I, I do these podcasts right now, probably twice a week. Right. That's such a, a veteran move, Annie, because oh, you know, you want to know who you're talking to when you're talking. And so when I go down to Harris Creek, I'll be thinking, okay, you know, who, who's here. Okay. There's families here. There's, you know, um, moms, dads, um, there's college students. And so how do I take this message and make it relevant to those different groups, life groups that are in the room and with the poor it's specifically uh, mostly you know folks in their 20s and 30s single friends and so I don't think the style will change I don't think the core of the message will change some of the peripheral messages will change a little bit yeah I can't wait to watch the transition as far as like what it looks like for you after 12 years of doing this to step into something that the next thing God's called you to I think that's and I think people need to, our our friends listening need to hear that sometimes God, calls you to things for a season, not everything is supposed to last forever. Because no. sometimes it feels like when God asks you to do something, you're supposed to do that forever. No, just God, His Word, and His people. That's the only thing that lasts forever. Yeah. Everything else is temporary. That's and good. so, you know, I think a lot of times our, our callings are in seasons. And um, it does seem like God God is a God of rhythm, you know, with yes. the, the seasons. Um the way that the order of creation, the way that He creates is a creative God. And so I think a lot of times when he calls us to something, it's really never for forever except for to himself through Jesus. Yeah. Everything else is really just for a season. And so what does it look like to be faithful for a season? Right. And how do you live like you're never leaving and invest like you're never leaving, but have open hands that that everything is seasonal? That's the good question. And you know what? Rather than just try to figure it all out, just go all in wherever you are. Just God go will all sort in. It out. That's exactly right. That's it, JP. When you got to leave and you got to rip your heart away from the people, he'll figure that out and sort that out. Meanwhile, you just go all in 100% That's right. and, and be as faithful as you possibly can and, and multiply your talents to the very best of your ability wherever you're at. And, um, you know, God's going to sort out the the next seasons yeah. and transition stuff. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm believing on that right now. Yeah, that's right. I think I'm, I am so with you. I think you're 100% right. And and every time I think of you, I'm going to pray down that line too, that, that you will know that for you and your family. My book that came out in October is called Remember God. And a lot of the story is about being 38 and single and about like how I didn't think my life would look like this. And what I keep hearing from men and women, and usually it's their late 20s or right when they turn 30, is they just go, hey, I don't know what to do, Annie, because I didn't think it would look like this. Yeah. But that can be true for dating relationships. That can be true for medical diagnosis. That can be true for your professional life. And so tell me kind of how do you speak to, and this could be anybody, not just millennials, but how do you speak to that situation that nobody really has the life they thought they would have? Yeah. What do you think every single married friend thinks? You know, every friend that's been married, whether they're married two years or 10 years or 50 years, they all think the same thing too. And, and uh, just to like, to shed some light on that, it is, man, I didn't think it was going to look like this. Mm. And so expectations are so dangerous because our greatest disappointments come from our expectations. 
And so sometimes I think, you know, I think there's wisdom to Jesus when he says in Matthew 6, and do not worry about tomorrow, and who by worrying uh, about tomorrow can add a single hour to his life, you know, the, for the day has enough troubles of its own. And so yeah. I think we're, we're, he's saying, hey, give your worries a 24-hour boundary, and don't, don't be so concerned about uh, what I have for you regarding a season of life or, or your, your Facebook relationship status or, right. or any of that. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, he says it's a greater calling to be single. People Sometimes people hate when I say that, right. but I, I can't argue that it's in the Scripture. That's right. And I understand that whoever finds a wife finds what is good, but it's not. They, it doesn't say they find what is ultimate. Yeah. And so Jesus says whoever can accept this, whoever is single for the sake of the kingdom should accept it. And I'm like, man, that seems like a pretty high calling. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says the same thing. And so to your friends that are caught up in the disappointment of their season of life, whether they're married or they're single, I would say, man, begin to focus on how do I leverage my season of life for the kingdom? That's yeah. what's so clear in the scripture. There is something that I can do because I'm in this season of life that I wouldn't be able to do if I was in a different season yes. of life. And so I need to figure that out and be focused on that and seeking first that yes. so that um, you know God's will in my life is multiplied. And I could walk through the wonderful works which he created in advance for me to walk in. Yeah. At the end of 2018, when I looked back on the year, I made a list of the friends that I made and the places I got to go because I was single. Right. And I didn't have like a perfect year. I had a relationship not work that I wanted to work. I had disappointments, all the things. But, but I, I went like, you would have never gotten to go there if you were already married. So, so it's not that one is better than the other. It's that like pay attention to the gifts God is giving you in the season that you are in versus the gifts he's given someone else in the season they are in. Yeah. And guess how many people get to heaven? And the first thing they do is complain to God about, <laughs> you know, the fact that he kept them right, single. Like that's, right. that's the conversation that's never, ever happened in the history of creation is like, Hey God, what were you doing down there? Like, yeah. did you not see me? Like, you're not like, where was my husband? What's up yeah, with that? Where yeah. was my wife? What, you know, that's the conversation that has never happened. You know, we get up there and nobody's, and nobody's married in heaven. That's the truth. And so, uh, I mean, other than to the, to the bridegroom of Jesus, yeah. I think we, there's something more to the narrative that we have to understand that we're here, not for marriage and not for singleness. We're here for Christ. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we learn in singleness is the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. And so we learn things in, in marriage too, but we can learn you know, realities, you know, the, the metaphor of marriage that the scripture gives us. But what we learn in singleness is about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And that's such an incredible lesson. Man, and I bet you just spend so much time talking about this because there are just so many people right now on the planet that 50 years ago would have been married by now, but but culture has changed and there's just so many more single people than there were before. That's right. The, the most that have ever walked the earth right now. So you think we'd be able to partner up better than we're doing, JP? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> if there's more of us than ever. But the problem is, you know, it's it's a um, in in our fallen world and in our rebellion, I think we move so far from e even God's just his view of marriage and relationships and there's there's just so much corruption in the mm -hmm. way that we date and and even the topic, the idea of dating. I mean, dating is 100 years old. You know, that's a hundred year old idea. You know, dating was introduced into the the dictionary or introduced into the language as a euphemism for prostitution. Oh wow. And so in the in the late eighteen hundreds to go on a date was to, you know, pay for a prostitute. And so now we use it as a commonplace of, of how to, you know, find a spouse. But 
I think we just have moved so far from God's God's ideal. Yeah, that's good to hear. I like all that. I like I like talking to experts, JP, and you got it, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a guy that's bumped my head on a lot of walls, Amen, if I, and that's how I've learned anything. Yeah, you and me both. Hey, tell me when you when you wrote "Welcome to Adulting," it, it is a book for millennials, and so it's one we can put in the hands of any of our friends that are you know somewhere in their late teens, twenties, early thirties. But is it also something that? you know, parents of millennials should be reading? I think you can to understand that generation. A lot of companies have purchased this book for their millennial employers. Yeah. A lot of grandparents and parents have purchased it for their children. But also I, I get an email, you know, at least a couple times a week just saying, hey, you know what? I, I read the book so that I would under, better understand my children or just the season that they're in. And it's been really helpful yeah. uh, for me to, to see it through that lens. So I think it is helpful in that way. Okay. Well, that's what I'm telling people to do. I think for me, as I went through it, I thought, yeah, this is this helps me understand. And because we are at the very top of that generation, I do feel some of the things, not all the things, Yeah, but I feel some of them. Um, can you just talk a little bit before we go about social media and how differently the next generation thinks about it? Because I heard Jeff Bethke on Luke Norsworthy's podcast talking about YouTube, and he was blowing Luke's mind because Luke didn't even realize how big the generation or how big the generation gap was about how people feel about YouTube that are in their 20s versus how people feel about YouTube that are our age and older. So talk a little bit about how you see social media. I love Jeff too, by I the do way. I too. It ain't um, fast. He's a dear friend. And so another, you know, just to give credence to what he said, they recently surveyed children and asked, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And the number one answer, so that, you know, you was, you know, firemen, police officers, school teachers, those kinds of things. Yeah. The number one answer today was, was a YouTuber. I want oh to be gosh. a YouTuber. And so that's, <laughs> you know, they they want to live the Jefferson Bethke dream. That's right. And uh, I do too. He lives on Maui. I love his life. I'll live the Jefferson Bethke dream. I know. I said that today, actually, we were talking about him earlier, but uh, it is amazing. I think that um, social media is a tool. And C.S. Lewis said, so great as something's potential for good, equally great is its potential for evil. Yes. And that, you know, that's true of the internet and certainly true of social media. And so I think we can use it to advance the gospel, to communicate with family. We can use it to communicate with friends, to love people, to understand needs. But when we begin to use it as a source of fulfillment, a, a place to give our hearts to, to begin to compare ourselves to others, I think it is a really key factor in the highest depression rates that we've ever seen yeah. that are happening right now. I think social media has a lot to do with that. And, and honestly, the inventors of a lot of these platforms have said the same thing. I mean, it's, it's a crazy idea when you read about the reality that some of their, they won't let some of their children be on the very social media platforms that they invented. And that, that should communicate something to us. Right. And so I think Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, and I mean, those, those are tools to use and there's a danger to them that we have to be soberly aware of. And then lastly, I would say within the generation that we're talking about, when we start to define our relationships, uh, you know, digitally, I think we're in a dangerous world. And so oh, those, good. you know, I know it says that you have 5,000 friends, but those aren't friends. Those, those are those are people that don't know you unless they do. And those mm -hmm. are people that you don't know or have a relationship with unless you do. There will never be a replacement for an, a hug. You know, there will never yeah. be a replacement for laughing over a meal together. And so please, under no circumstance, try to replace those things 
with something digital. Yeah, that's brilliant, bud. I feel the tension in me between connecting with my parents on how social media is a thing that changes so much it's hard to keep up and why am I giving this my time and a 25-year-old who spends all their time on the internet. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel pulled between those two a lot. I went to OnSite last January. I don't know if you know OnSite, but it's like a seven-day counseling thing. Yeah. And they have you take a test of all the um, medicators that you're addicted to. And every person was addicted to technology. Oh, wow. Including myself. Wow. And I was like, okay. And so we, I made some real changes in 2018 about my hours and when I'm on. And I'm continuing to do it. I'm continuing to try to find health there. But I just, I love hearing experts on the next generation say like, this isn't where everything is, but good can come from here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that simple. This, There's a danger here you need to be aware of, and good can come from it. But yeah. just proceed with caution. Yeah, I love it. Tell me um, what we can do for you as your friends from That Sounds Fun podcast. What does it look like for us to support you, especially as you're making this transition in 2019? I would ask everyone who's listening right now just to say a prayer uh, for our family through this transition. And uh, we're praying that we would seek the welfare of the city of Waco and that God yeah. would give us the hearts of people there. And um, just that that would be the greatest gift is if if the millions and millions and millions of people who uh, track with Annie Downs would, <laughs> would pray for us. We would love that. The millions. You've got them. You've just got the millions. Thank you. For um, hey, the last question we always ask that you're going to love because of your sevenness. Because the show's called That Sounds Fun, you got to tell me what your family does for fun. Like, what does JP do for fun? Right now, I wish I was sitting on a beach somewhere watching a sunset over the ocean while my kids built a sandcastle in the distance and my wife laid beside me and we were talking. That just sounds like the dream. And so I love the ocean. I love to travel. Um, I don't discriminate on travel. I really love to go anywhere. Uh, but right now, if I could be anywhere on this cold, rainy day in Dallas, I'd love to be at the beach. Uh, I like I like water sports to wakeboard. Uh, I like to listen to podcasts and um, I love to share the gospel. It's yeah. an amazing thing to watch someone go from death to life in a partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so I, I'll share the gospel with anybody who has yeah. a pulse yeah. uh, at any time. And, and I just, I find great joy in doing that. I've had a real influx of friends come into my life in the last six months who don't believe everything I believe. Yeah. And the beauty has been, you get a front row seat to God showing himself to someone. Absolutely. And you just get to walk them through it. And I'm like, okay, I'm never living a life again where I don't have a lot of different kind of friends because this has been more, I've had more fun in the last year watching what God was doing in someone else's life than I've had in my whole life. I love that. It's been rad. Keep going, friends. You, God through you is killing it. Keep going. Uh, I love uh, tracking with you from afar. And and I just want to commend your listeners for tuning in to someone so dynamic and so fun and relevant that it continues to carry the kingdom forward. So uh, thank you, Annie. You're really kind, JP. That's really sweet of you. I'm telling y'all, that guy is brilliant. Isn't he brilliant? And what an exciting new journey he and his family are on. Uh, make sure you follow him on social media so you can watch. You know, one of my favorite things about what some of our friends do on the show is they'll kind of tell us something they're walking through and in the, in the middle of or at the start of, and then we will get to see how God shows up for them. And it is just a repeated opportunity to remember God and to see His faithfulness. And I hope you feel that a little bit in the story I'm telling you with my life too, that I'm off the road for the back half of this year and I don't know what it's about. I just felt like it was what God kind of put on my heart was that I needed to be home for the fall of 2019. And so 
I, I hope that we will get to see when we will, we will see what God had in store for that. And the same is true for JP and his family's life that we are going to get to watch that up close. So make sure you follow him and thank him for being on the show. His Twitter is J Pakluda, J P O K L U D A. Make sure you are following him there. Thank him for being on the show. And, um, you know, let's just keep praying for him as his family transitions and, and kind of feels called to a brand new thing. And we are so thankful for the investment he's made in college students and those of us around college students for the last, gosh, decade, however long, you know, just years and years. And make sure you grab his book, Welcome to Adulting. I think you will really enjoy it. If there's anything I can do for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs all over the place, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you need me, you can find me those places. Our conversation continues this week about the next generation with a special show on Thursday because tomorrow I actually have a book coming out for teenagers called A Life of Lovely. You may know that I have an adult book called Looking for Lovely that is for my friends that is about the process of learning to persevere. And then when Lifeway and I started chatting we were about Looking for Lovely, we really felt like What if we took this book and made it for teenagers in a way that helped them learn perseverance before they got in a bad spot? You know, like, could we teach the next generation how to persevere now and here um, before they ever even, you know, kind of step into some of the places that I stepped into that made me have to learn how to persevere? And so on Thursday, we are talking about A Life of Lovely with some very special guests. I think you're going to love it. So we'll see you Thursday. You guys go out and do something that sounds really fun to you. I'm going to do the same, and I will see you back here on Thursday. Thursday.